Praise the Lord. I'm glad I got out of bed this morning and came to church. And I'm glad you did too. Seems like the choir's singing louder. Something's going on. Praise the Lord. Some of you came this morning and you don't know why you're here. You're not a member of this church. You weren't planning on being here today. But the Lord got you here. And we have good news for you today. There is a living God in heaven who created you and wants a relationship with you. And he sees your brokenness and your loneliness and your need. And he so loved you that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus came and lived the life you could not live. And he died the death that you deserve to die. But he took it upon himself and he rose again from the grave to prove that he was the Son of God. And if you will turn to him and call upon him and trust him and give your life to him, he will forgive you of your sins and change your heart from the inside out. It won't be religion. It won't be man-made external rules to follow. It will be an encounter with the living God in your own heart. And that's the, one of the many beautiful things about Christianity is it is not works-based, it is grace-based. It is not what we do to earn our way back to God. It is what he has done in reaching out to us, knowing that we could never make our way to him. This morning, we're going to talk about the calling of God. Did you know that God is calling all of us into a relationship with him? Believers are called out ones. He calls us from death into life. He calls us from sin and selfishness and pride and self-sufficiency to repentance, to trusting him with our lives. He calls us to live lives of love. And he calls us to serve him with our lives. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you are called by God to serve him with your life. Now, that may not mean on staff at a church or as a missionary or a pastor, but he wants you to bring glory to him, to meet human needs, to point people uniquely through your life and through your story, through your brokenness and through your past, through your weaknesses and your strengths. And he wants your life to be a picture frame pointing people to the glory of God, the God that created you, who sustains you, who loves you. The Apostle Paul says, whether I live or whether I die, I want Christ to be magnified through my body. And we should live lives that, regardless of the day of the week or the state or city we're living in, that we want Christ to be magnified through our bodies and through our lives. So God is calling us to him. So this morning, I want to focus in on Moses' calling and for us to bring some truths out of the life of Moses that we can apply to our own lives. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 1. At the end of Genesis, the book of Exodus actually starts off in the Hebrew with the word and. <laughs> 
It's like, and the story continues. Genesis ends with the death of Joseph. If you remember, God separates Joseph, raises him up at second in command in Egypt, and uses him to not only save the world from starvation, but to rescue his brothers. And then they move in, and you pick up in Exodus chapter 1, it talks about the names of the sons of Israel, and that there were 70 in number, and then it hits a gap and begins to fast forward through time. 400 years pass over the next chapter. And the people of Israel become enslaved because they're multiplying. God is working and he's blessing and he's fulfilling his promise to make Abraham's descendants a great nation. And so even though if we were there, during those 400 years, we're seeing slavery and we're seeing harsh treatment and we're seeing the pharaohs trying to kill God's people, trying to destroy the sons that are born and doing everything he can to stop them, but God is still fulfilling his promises in the midst of all of that. And when we get to chapter 2, we see that God's about to fulfill a great promise in rescuing his people. So I just want to say something even before we get into chapter 2 and we talk about Moses' life. And that is God is constantly watching and working behind the scenes. God is constantly watching and working behind the scenes. The Apostle Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. When the, John the Baptist shows up, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. God is ruling and reigning from heaven right now. Whether you realize it or not, Jesus shows up. The kingdom of God is at hand. In Albany, Georgia, and in America, and in Wuhan, China right now, the kingdom of God is at hand. There is a living, ruling God that is sustaining all of life and giving every one of the 7.6 billion people on the earth the next breath and the next heartbeat and keeping us gravity balanced on this earth so we don't fly off into space with the sun in the sky and the heavens are declaring every day the glory of God and the stars are pointing back to the power of God. He's constantly working. If you don't see God working, then you need to tune in your spiritual frequency through Jesus to him. And if as a believer you don't see God working, you need to check your heart and find out is there sin in your life and faithlessness in your life and are you in love with the world so much you're dull of hearing to his voice but you see throughout exodus god is constantly watching he's constantly working now i want to point out something here and that is 500 years earlier this is around 1526 bc at the birth of moses 500 years earlier around 2000 bc was when Abraham was walking the earth. And God, even before he even has one child, God gives Abraham this promise in Genesis 15. This is going to be up on the screen. This is an incredible passage of Scripture. Watch this, Genesis chapter 15. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not yours 
and will be servants there. He's already saying, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I know you don't have any children yet. I know you're getting old, but I'm going to make of you a great nation. Not only will I make of you a great nation, you will be the father of multitudes. And not only that, but your descendants, your offspring, will be sojourners in a land. He's talking about Egypt that is not theirs, and they will be servants. They will be, they'll be slaved there. And then he says, and they will be afflicted 400 years. God is very specific. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. Boy, did he. <laughs> the plagues. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions because they pilfered the Egyptians on the way out. So these promises are made hundreds of years in advance. So as they go in 70 in number and multiply and become, at this point at Moses, in during Moses' life, 2 million people. They become a great nation during those 400 years. God was working in the midst of that. He's going to fulfill his promises. God has no problem keeping 100% of his promises. So before we read Exodus chapter 2, let's pray. And would you ask the Lord this morning to speak to you specifically about his calling on your life? About his calling on your life. Father, in Jesus' name, we give you this service. We thank you for your word. We ask for you to fill us and lead us by your spirit and for you to have your way. We declare Jesus as Lord, and we ask you to fill us with the knowledge of your will this morning and speak to every one of us about what your calling is for this season for our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In order for God to rescue his people he's going to raise up a deliverer the birth of Moses now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi the woman conceived and bore a son and when she saw that he was beautiful she hid him for three months in the earlier chapter Pharaoh said if those Hebrews have male children he tells all the people in Egypt kill those male children throw them into the Nile Instead of throwing her son into the Nile, she feared God more than she did Pharaoh. First time civil disobedience is, is uh, celebrated in Scripture. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a wicker basket and covered it with tar and pitch. And then she put the child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. She's, <laughs> it's funny to me because she's doing what Pharaoh said. Yeah, I put him in the Nile in a wicker basket. He's safe. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. It's interesting, he's a little floating ark right now. The last time the word pitch was used was when Noah had covered the ark to waterproof it. The daughter of Pharaoh comes down to bathe in the Nile River. Providence and sovereignty of God is at work here. With her maidens walking along the Nile, and she saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her maid, and she brought it to her. And when she opened it, she saw the child. We just read earlier, he's a beautiful, healthy young child. And behold, the boy was crying. God knows perfectly how to get to the heart of this young lady. And she had pity on him, and she said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, very strategically, Shall I go and call a nurse for you for the, from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. 
So smart. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. What? (laughs) Just like the mercy and the redemption of God, he's destined to be destroyed in the Nile River. God uses the faith of a mom who refuses to uh, obey the king's command, and now she's getting paid to keep her own son alive. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, Because I drew him out of the water. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up, fast-forwarding now. You find out in the book of Acts he'd been trained in Egypt. He'd learned the wisdom, the education. He had been lived for 40 years in Pharaoh's court. So fast-forward Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up Then he went out to his brethren, the Hebrews, and he looked on their hard labors and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. Now Moses has got to make a decision. He's got two loyalties. He's got the loyalty to Pharaoh, his adopted mother, Pharaoh's daughter, and then he's got a loyalty to his birth family. And he looked this way and that, and when he saw there was no one around him, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand, so he kills him. He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. So Moses is already trying to be a deliverer, and he fails the first time. Now he's trying to help his own people. And he says to the offender, why are you striking your companion? But he says, who made you a prince and judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid. Surely the matter's become known. When Pharaoh heard this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh, settled in the land of Midian. So he leaves the whole country. He sits down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs. You find out that he marries one of the daughters. If you get down to verse 21, Moses was willing to dwell with the man. He gave him his daughter, Zipporah, to Moses. Then she gave birth to a son, and he named him Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner or an alien in a foreign land. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, the one who was trying to kill Moses. And the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage. They cried out to God and their cry for help because their bondage rose up to God. Here's verse 24 and 25. God is constantly watching. He's constantly seeing He's constantly hearing. He's constantly working. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and he took notice of them. Now, think about Moses. I used to be a youth pastor, and teenagers are a walking identity crisis. They don't know who they are. All of us are born not knowing who we are. We're not knowing why we're here or what we're supposed to be doing. And we have a very limited view of ourselves based upon our feelings or our desires or what the world is saying about us. Moses is a walking identity crisis. He's born from Hebrew mom but named Egyptian, raised in Pharaoh's court with their daughter. Now he tries to be loyal to his people as a deliverer. He fails. Now he's a failure. He murders the Egyptian. Now he's a murderer. Then he flees. Now he's running, and now he's in a foreign country. He's a foreigner, and he calls himself, basically, with what he named his son, I'm an alien in a foreign land. 
My whole life is a failure. 40 years with Pharaoh, and now when you get to chapter 3, verse 1, 40 years as a shepherd. He's 80 years old. He's, he's heading towards retirement. He's like, my life is, I've made many mistakes. I'm weak now. I'm old. I'm just going to, he, he's caught in a rut. He's in his comfort zone. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Median, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. The leaves aren't turning black. It's not withering up. It's staying green and lush while it's on fire. It doesn't make any sense. So Moses said, I must turn aside and see the marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burned up? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush, and he says, Moses, Moses. And he says, here I am, which is what Abraham said when God spoke to him. It's interesting, here I am. He's speaking to the great I am. He doesn't know it yet. God is speaking to him in his language. And he's calling him by name. Did you know God knows your name? Did you know he knows where you are? Everywhere you go? The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good, it says in Proverbs. Then he says, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. Not because of the mountain, but because of God's presence. And he says, this is so epic, I am the God of your father. Amram is Moses' father, you find out in chapter 6. I, I, I am the God of Abraham. Now, Jesus pointed out later on that he was not saying I was the God of Abraham because Abraham's been dead for 500 years. He says, I am the God of Abraham. Ab Abraham was alive in eternity, and God was still the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac right now. And I am the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. He's, he's overwhelmed. He knew about God. He's overwhelmed because he's in God's presence now. The Lord said, I surely have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. And I am aware of their sufferings. Scripture says that God is the God of all comfort. He comforts his children in all of our affliction. Did you know every tear you've cried, the Lord has seen, and he knows why you've cried it? Do you know everything you've done, every prayer you've prayed, every text you've sent, the Lord has seen and heard? He knows everything about you. He's fully aware. He says, so I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land to a land flowing with milk and honey. Milk means the cattle can survive there, and honey means there's lots of crops. 
the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Do you look at this world and see injustice in our world? Does it grieve you when you see junk going on in our government or in other countries? Does it bother you and grieve you? Where is God? He's fully aware. Absolutely aware. He is sovereign, and he will judge everything hidden in secret, the Bible says. The Bible does not say he's slow. It says he's patient. Now, verse 10 shifts gears because all up until this point, Moses is hearing, he's overwhelmed, he's on his face, he's hearing God speak to him in his language, and he's aware of the affliction of the people, and he knows God's going to somehow rescue them, I guess. But now God says, now you, verse 10, therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, what if God appeared to you at work this week and said, it's bothering me what's going on in North Korea right now. Ken, I'm sending you to go meet with Kim Jong-un. Now now it's like, what? Me? Who? And that's what Moses says in verse 11. Moses says to God, who am I? I'm nobody that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. God responds, certainly I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. God says, oh, by the way, not only are you going to (laughs) go, and not only are you going to rescue two million people out of Egypt, but you're going to bring them back here, and I'm going to be with you every step of the way. So when we talk about God calling us and God working, God calls us out of our comfort zone and into following him into his eternal purposes. He does that with all of us. He calls Gideon out of his comfort zone. He calls Peter, James, and John out of their comfort zone. We're busy people. They were busy people. Moses is a busy person in this situation. You're a busy person. God consistently calls busy people. I don't have, this doesn't fit in my schedule, God, for the whole shepherd plan that I have today. And, you know, Zipporah's going to have dinner tonight. God's like, cancel that. I'm interrupting your schedule with a higher plan. I'm calling you out of your comfort zone into following me into my eternal purposes. Did you know God is calling you out of your comfort zone? Today. And he's calling you to join him, following him, and his eternal purposes. I don't know what that is for your life. He's going to have to show you what that is. Moses is encountering the God of the universe. He's terrified. God's calling him by name, speaking his language, and is fully aware of his past ancestors, his present siblings. He knows all about Moses' speech impediment, which Moses brings up later on, and he informs Moses in this little conversation that he had created that speech impediment, And that he was calling him to go back as his ambassador and deliver and rescue God's people from Egypt. And he even references Moses' future. It's crystal clear God knows everything about Moses, even more so than Moses does. Moses doesn't even know who he is. 
He's a walking identity crisis. Do you feel like sometimes you're a walking identity crisis? The Lord knows who you are a whole lot better than you do. And he defines who you are, not this world and not you. What God says about you is what is true about you, regardless of how you feel. It's crystal clear God knows everything about Moses. Verse 11, when Moses says, who am I that I should go? When God calls us out of his comfort zone, here's what we do next. We will tend to resist him looking at our failures, our fears, and our limitations. You see that throughout Scripture. When God calls people to follow him, our immediate response is, I'm not your guy. I'm not qualified. You remember what Peter did when Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men? When he saw the miracles, he said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Our tendency is to look at our failures of the past and say, I am disqualified to be used by God. God has no problem redeeming broken people. Jesus showed up and he said, I didn't come to fix the well people. I came to help the sick people. Well, that's all of us. We're all sinners and broken and needy. We've all failed in so many ways. God is, has no problem with the fact that Moses is a murderer. He can, he can help him with that situation. We look at our fears. I, I, who am I to go talk to Pharaoh? He's like the, the ruling guy over there. I'm now an 80-year-old man. It's a younger guy now. I'm, I'm not your guy. And we look at our own limitations. I don't have the resources. I don't have the know-how. Uh, the, the people won't even believe me. I don't even know who you are. I mean, we come up with a big, long list as to why we can't obey God. As if we know better than he does. God's understanding of our lives is infinitely better than ours. God knew what he was doing. He knew every detail about Moses' life. He also knew that he would powerfully enable Moses to accomplish this world-changing task that would miraculous, miraculously humiliate all the gods of Egypt because every plague humiliated and destroyed a god that Egypt followed and would mightily rescue an entire nation from slavery and establish a covenant people whose descendants would usher in the incarnate Christ and bring salvation to the world. From an earthly perspective, Moses was an 80-year-old migrant worker who'd settled into his routine. His earthly track record and identity was cowardly, convoluted, and checkered. His thoughts about himself were not positive or confident. His feelings and desires persuaded him against this idea. He tries to argue with God repeatedly. And if Moses had asked his wife Zipporah, his brother Aaron, or even Pharaoh, is this a good idea? They'd probably all laugh at him. You're completely out of your mind. Moses says, I'm not the guy. I, I'm a nobody. God, though, knew a few things about Moses. You are the exact guy that I want. You're the very one I have been preparing to do this specific work, Moses. Now think about this. The great I am speaking powerfully to him through the fire had systematically and sovereignly been preparing Moses his entire life to be the ideal man for the job. Moses was the right person to travel the road back to Egypt because he knew it, to the country where he was born and raised. He was a Hebrew child of enslaved Hebrew parents. And he was the son whose parents had courageous faith that had saved him from an early death. 
He'd been raised for 40 years in the courts of Pharaoh. He knew how Pharaoh and the Egyptians thought. He'd been educated and raised in their world. He knew their language and didn't need an interpreter. He knew Egypt well and the region he knew well because he'd grown up there. He also knew the Hebrew language and could speak to the leaders of Israel as a Hebrew. He had a heart that longed to deliver people even though he'd failed on his own. He'd been a shepherd for 40 years and he knew how to lead and take care of a flock. And now two million people needed a shepherd to lead them out of Egypt. He knew that the Sinai Peninsula, the entire area, and the topography in that entire region that would help him when he brought all those people out. And he knew where that mountain was, where God's presence was. And he'd been broken and humbled. The Bible says he was extremely humbled. He was the perfect man for the job. Ephesians 2.10 says, You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the specific works he's prepared beforehand for you to do. God sees... (laughs) If the Lord shows up, I'm going to drop. God sees... The brokenness of your past. He sees your ancestors. He sees your strengths. He sees your weaknesses. He sees your circumstances. He sees everything about your life. And the Bible says he's working all things, good and bad, together for good to conform you to the image of his son. And he didn't just send his son to be here. He sent his son to serve. And as he's making you like Jesus, he's calling you to use all of your gifts and talents to serve him. I think about my dad when he launched a Christian school and led as a headmaster and did it so well. And I'm thinking the brokenness he grew up with with his own father helped prepare him to know the needs of children. The, the teacher training in the public schools taught him uh, about how the public schools thought. Working in ministry for years in different churches helped him to prepare to network with multiple churches. It goes on, and he worked in children's ministry for a while. He worked in youth ministry for a while. All of those things prepared him for that role, and he had no idea God had been preparing him the entire time. Why did my parents move in next door to a guy from Lockheed who liked to play with video cameras, and Alex is playing with his son with video cameras growing up. And when we went to church, our dad, a lot of people don't know this, would rent Disney movies and Billy Graham movies and show them in the uh, chapel at our church and invite families to come. He'd pop the popcorn, and our dad would show movies to try to reach families in our community. We are each God's workmanship creating Christ Jesus. It's easy for us to see Moses and say, well, that's true of him. Are you thinking it's too hard for God to do that in your life? No. Every believer in Jesus Christ is God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the specific works he's prepared before and for you to do. He's inviting you to join him. You will respond with, I'm not the guy. Next, God will invite us to rely upon who he is, not who we are. This is huge. God says to Moses, he doesn't say, 
You can do it, Moses. Try harder. You know what he says? He says, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to put the words in your mouth. I'm going to carry you. It's going to be my works and my power. I'm going to walk you through this. Moses says to God, verse 13, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I'll say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? Moses already said, I don't know who I am. Now he's saying, Who are you? What shall I say to them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, does that sound like the biggest non-answer you've ever heard? I am who I am. Have you ever been in a, in a situation, somebody gives you an answer, you're like, that, that means nothing to me. I don't know what you just said. God responds with who he is. He says, I'm the God of Abraham. I remember God keeping his promises to Abraham, enabling him to have children, and now the nation of Israel, you know, the two million people. God responds, I am who I am, based upon the root words to be or to exist. It sounds so obvious as to not be helpful at all. But you know what? If we were to take this and dive in and chew on it just a little bit, God is revealing more of his attributes through this phrase. If you think deeply about this, what do we see? What can we learn about God from this statement, I am, I exist? I am, he said. He said he is, not he isn't. You know what God is showing us? That he exists. He is existent. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Atheism just bit the dust. I am existent who I am. How many are there? I, one. God is singular. There's one God, the Bible says. Well, what percentage of God is he? Some people are 50% honest or 10% pure or 99% consistent. God didn't say, I sort of am and that sometimes I am. He says, I am who I am, period. Not sort of, not partly, completely. So he's whole. He's one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Psalm 86, you're great, do wondrous things. You alone are God. The Bible says there was, is, and always will be just one God. Isaiah 43 annihilates Mormonism it annihilates Jehovah's Witnesses, and it annihilates Hinduism, it annihilates atheism, Isaiah 43. Before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord. There is no Savior besides me. That's embedded in I am who I am. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I am who I am. Well, when? When is he God? I am, right now, presently, not I was. I am, not I hope to be, I am. He exists here and now. I am who I am. He is not only present, he's ever present. He doesn't just, he says it twice. He's omnipresent. 
People change, but God does not change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Blessed be the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting you are God, Psalm 90 says. I am who I am. He's self-sustaining. He's existent, independent of the rest of everybody else in the universe. If he's alive and existent and self-sustaining, he's powerful. I am who I am, so he's not unlike himself. He's exactly like himself, which means he's pure. He is exactly as he is and nothing else, which means he's true. He exists ever presently and he's alive. And if he's alive and ever present, he's life. And if he's revealing his unseen attributes, the revelation of his unseen attributes, he's light to reveal what is hidden in darkness. And if I am who I am, if he's consistent completely at all times, he's faithful. And if he is as he is and he is unchanging, he's eternal. And if he's separate from everything else and still existent, he's transcendent. And if he's eternal and transcendent, that means he's uncreated. We could go on and on. E equals mc squared is more than just a simple formula. Reveals tons of stuff about gravity and energy and power and matter. I am who I am. God is revealing, embedded in this five-word statement, so many of his attributes. When Jesus showed up, he came to reveal the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. In John 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. John 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. John 10, he said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. In John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In John 15, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Whatever God is calling you and me to do, he doesn't want us to think it's up to us or our attributes. Our focus should not be on our weaknesses and our limitations. It should be on who he is. Because he says consistently, I am with you. He says to Moses, I am with you. When Jesus calls us to the Great Commission and every believer in Jesus Christ is called to the Great Commission, he ends it by saying, and lo, I am with you always. Wherever you go, whatever God calls you to do, the sufficiency, the power, the provision, the presence of God is with you. Next, God can redeem every part of our story for our good and for his purposes. 
God desires for his character and attributes to be present inside of you, to make himself known through your story like nobody else. Your story is different from everybody else. So God wants to be glorified through uniquely your story. That's why he's wired you with the ability to worship so you can worship him. He's given you eternal value, made in the image of God. He's awakened you to certain needs that you see that other people are not sensitive to. He's given you the ability to think of people outside of yourself, people that you can reach that nobody else can reach, and communicate God's truth through your story, your testimony, your experiences in a unique way. It's why he's tailored you with abilities and tasks he's prepared beforehand for you to do. God has been molding you your entire life for what he's called you to do to serve him. We see ourselves through the lens of our failures, but God is planning on redeeming our failures. We see ourselves through our present fears, but God overcomes all of our fears. We see ourselves through our weaknesses, but God is strong in our weaknesses. Listen to the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Timothy 1. Remember, he'd persecuted the church. He'd blasphemed God. He'd attacked people. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who's enabled me, counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. The Apostle Paul says, I'm the worst sinner of all. And then he says, however, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for eternal life. If God can save Paul, he can save you. If he can forgive Paul, he can forgive you. If he can use Paul, he can use you. He wants to redeem every part of your story. So with that in mind, we can move forward by faith, trusting his presence and his promises. Whatever God's called you to do, you can move forward by faith. Because he says in verse 12 to Moses, I will be with you, and I will bring you back, and you will worship me. He gives him a promise. I'm going to carry you through all of this. When Jesus is in the boat, the disciples are going to be okay in the storm. And when he is with you, you're going to make it. And then, as we move forward, obeying what God has called us to do, whatever it is, God will do more than we could ever or ask or imagine for his glory. That's what he does. He blows Moses away with the miracles, with what he enables Moses to do, with the plagues, with the parting of the Red Sea, with going up on the mountain with the presence of God, with the Ten Commandments, with the manna. All the, he's blowing Moses' mind. Moses is like, I'm not your guy. And God's inviting him by faith to trust him. And he blows his mind. And then in your life, God can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or imagine for his glory. But he's inviting you to trust him. To trust him. What is he inviting you to trust him for right now, for this season of your life? What is he inviting Sherwood Baptist Church to trust God for 
right now for this season. Louis Giglio took the statement, I am, and he said, this answers so many questions for me, who God is. Who's going to make sure the whole world knows about Jesus? I am. Who's going to make sure truth prevails over evil? I am. Who's going to make sure the church of Jesus Christ endures through this world? I am. It's going to cost a fortune to pay for this vision. Who's going to pay for it? I am. Who's going to help me meet the insurmountable challenges I'm facing right now in my life? I am. What if our ministry doesn't do it? Who will? I am. Who could possibly be smart enough to figure all this out? I am. Things are changing in this world. Who knows how to meet the needs? I am. I desperately need something fresh. I am. Leaders are dropping like flies. Who's going to last? I am. If my family sells out to Jesus, who's going to pay the bills? I am. No one's giving me good leadership in my life right now. I am. Nobody's listening to my prayers. I am. I've given all I can. It's not enough. I am. I'm not sure who's really on my team. I am. If we bail, who's going to go after this generation? I am. I'm going under. Somebody help me. I am. I think the people in Albany deserve more. I am. Seems like this whole world is a mess. Who can make sense of all of this? I am. I always have been, and I am, and always will be. I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It always has and always will be all about him. He's the center of everything. And he's inviting you and me to lay down everything and join him on the journey. Let's pray together this morning. What is the Lord saying to you today? Because I can tell you, he's inviting you to more. More of him. More of your life in his hands. And he's inviting you to something bigger and greater than your comfort zone. And you are going to feel totally inadequate and totally unqualified. But he specializes in being strong in human weakness. And he specializes in redeeming broken people. And he specializes in working miracles in impossible situations. He has no problem with your problems and helping you through them and rescuing you rescuing you from them, sustaining you in the midst of them. And he's inviting you, calling you to 
trust him. And he wants you to say, yes, Lord, I don't have to have it all figured out for me to say yes to you. I'm going to walk by faith. And I'm going to make this decision not based upon who I am, but based upon who you are. And I'm asking you, God, to take me, to forgive me, to sanctify me, to cleanse me, to take all I have and all that I am. May my life be poured out as an offering to you. There is nothing greater for you to live for than the God that created you. Some of you today need to pray and call upon Jesus today to be your Savior and your Lord. You don't have to have it all figured out to turn on the light switch and enjoy the power of the light. And you don't have to have God figured out for you to call upon Jesus to be saved. He's got you figured out. And he understands who he is well. Would you trust him right where you're sitting? Would you pray to him right now? Some of you are called into the ministry. And the Lord loves you. And he's so excited about what he's going to do through your life in the days ahead. He's not afraid. And he wants you to take that step of faith and to trust him. And today may be the day when you say, God... I don't know what this means, but I'm giving you my yes. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask for you to not let Satan steal the word of God out of our hearts. Lord, I pray it would take deep root you would water it and you would bear a great harvest through our lives. I pray everyone in this room, everyone who has heard this message today would trust you. The God of the impossible, the great I am, they would trust you. They'd quit worrying and they would give you their yes. Be glorified in us and through us. Do more than we can ask or imagine, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. The pastors will be down front. If the Lord leads you to come forward this morning and make a decision publicly, we invite you to come for prayer or to come to the altar or to join this church or to do whatever God is calling you to do this morning. Would you give him your yes this morning as we sing?